0: looking glass forum and we're here deconstructing the great reset agenda preparing to defend the American Republic and piercing the combination of Roman occult power and a neo-Marxist global power structure. Thanks for coming back. So back here with the Looking Glass Forum, we have another episode that we're trying to put together here for you. It's kind of like a labor of love, and we definitely want to make sure that we're getting, covering all of our bases and getting as much of the the wider, big-picture information that's slowly becoming lost to history as we move forward in this era in 2020. Uh, The new technology, the smartphones, and, and where this is all taking us as far as the new technotronic tyranny that we're really looking at. It's starting to become ubiquitous across the face of the entire globe and influence our politics and our thinking. And this move towards globalism has an interesting foundation if we go back and look into the historical record. And, you know, we, we have time to, before the lights go out in the, uh, in the West here and the... The, you know, the, it's the third worlding of the entire globe is the process and the agenda here. So we're looking to bring about an understanding of what is hard to kind of conceive of when it comes to how globalism has worked and how the, the neo-Marxist global power structure has been knitted together over the course of time and in the background. So in this in this um, episode, we're going to take a look at a really interesting scandal that broke out in the 80s. And Italian politics and and took place in Italy and most people really are unaware of the, the dynamics of those kind of politics. This is a, back in the time in the 80s before really the European Union was really fully empowered as really the, the uh, Eurozone. It was the European commercial committees that were really operating at that time. And what happened in the 1980s was an exposure to the public media of what was really a confusing kind of jumble uh, in, in the public eye when it came to the P2 Lodge. And the P2 Lodge was an Italian lodge of Freemasonry, an esoteric school, if you will, a secret society that operated throughout Italy and specifically in Rome. And the propaganda duo, or the P2, as it was known, and it really has to do with P being the 16th letter, and 2, 16 times 2 is 32, so you can expect that the propaganda duo lodge, or the P2 lodge, was a lodge of just specifically high-level Freemasons only. So there wouldn't be any 1st, or 2nd, or 15th degree Freemasons. This would be a lodge, a secret lodge, an off-the-books lodge, if you will, a shadow lodge that existed and influenced geopolitics and influence politics in the world's arena. And it was primarily a lodge that had, like we stated, high-level, 32-degree-level Freemasons only. And you have to be a high-level Freemason in order to even know about this lodge. And it really comes down to the expectation of what Freemason really is. And, of course, you're going to have a lot of you know, men in, in the Blue Lodge of Freemasonry who are really high, highly educated. Um, and this is the first lower degrees. And they mean well. They're excellent men. They're wealthy. They're lawyers. They're judges. They're They're police. And they do right, Um, but we're we're really casting the uh, the exposure here on is the high levels of Freemasonry where it gets to be towards. The Luciferian uh, mystery religion, the esoteric kind of Babylonian rites, and the kind of dark magic of Freemasonry, if you will, and you have to understand with the P. Two Lodge, it was um, it had a lot of Roman Catholic cardinals, and to the public eye, to the laity, if you will, you would expect that the the Roman Catholic Church of Christianity wouldn't be associated with Freemasonry. But little did you know, you were not expected to know that that uh, the Roman Catholic power structure existed long before for Freemasonry, and it comes to you know, and and we we need to come to know that the Roman Catholic power structure controls Freemasonry for its own purposes. And ultimately, when we get to the higher degrees of Freemasonry, they're knights of the Rosy Cross, they're knights of the Temple, the Templar Knights, they're knights of the the the, um, Royal Sun. You know, get into all these knighthood orders, and that presupposes a certain nobility class or. A royal aristocracy, and um, it it really harkens back to the old world. And the old world is really what the proponents of the New World Order are all about. So, the New World Order is here to establish and protect the foundations of the old world, which were really um, the nobility, the, the, the royal classes, the like we said, the aristocracy, the counts and, and duchesses, and all the people who had royal blood or who were appointed to be royals, by the Roman Catholic Church. Of course, you couldn't be coronated as a king or queen anywhere in the courts of Europe unless you had the prelates and the approval of Rome there to actually do the uh, the religious magic and to actually make it official and to, you know, sanctify your, uh, in front of the whole village or the whole town or the hamlet there that you were the the proper duke or the duchess or the baron or the approved royal persona that was expected to um rule over the people and uh, it, obviously this is where the Roman system, the uh, the hierarchy and the magisterium of Rome got its power was by being the king makers and the ones who were to depose kings or to make sure that they were the only ones to select who had the divine right to rule and the divine right was really just the divine approval of Rome if you will. So as um, we move into the enlightenment period we're moving in the 6, 1700s and 1800s and 1900s, we're moving into the the era of the American dominance and the democratic republic where this uh, country was established as a country of laws and not men So there were no royal personas that got to rule and reign over all the people but we would select by the ballot and by our own choice and our own will those who would ascend into the decision making positions and who would be in the legislature and the executive and and in the courts and ultimately we would have our own self-government. And this was something that was calculated by the forefathers and it was established as a revolution against the old world system of um, noble personas instituted by a religious system a, a tyrannical religious system there was no noblesse oblige where ultimately the public is expected to kneel and bow and, and obey a certain liege lord or a certain sovereign that is has the divine right to rule over everyone else because of their supposed bloodlines these are all ideas that become obsolete and extinct when we get to the the, the renaissance and the enlightenment era and ultimately the, the republican the government of America and ultimately the intellectual Revolution that was taking place also in France, too. Ways this kind of destruction that happened in the French Revolution was ultimately a manipulation, like we said in earlier episodes, of the Illuminati agents who were operating throughout the different courts of the kings and the principalities in Europe. And ultimately, the, the intellectual revolution that was taking place in France was kicked over into a total collapse, into anarchy and destruction that would destroy the, the monarchy and this was really their aim. So there was a lot of unrest that was being fomented in, in the streets. And since there was no way for the people to change the government, it was easy for the noble, the, the knighthood classes and the noble classes to provoke a cataclysm between the monarchy and the people, the, the peasants in the street. And that's ultimately what happened. So and uh, this extended into Haiti and the, the kind of bloodshed that would just be carried out against all authority. And that's why I say it was a, a descent into anarchy. And you can see that happening um, kind of, in the streets of America today in certain cities in Portland and other areas in California where the people are being provoked, and then the the people that are running the government are acting tyrannical and they're doing things that are not in the best interest of the people and they're trying to make them all just stay in their homes and shut down their businesses and ultimately the people are gonna be affected and provoked into into anger by these kind of actions. So the same kind of deconstruction of the society that we saw in the French Revolution is similar to what happened in Germany also. We have this kind of great controversy that's being played out in the government between the people and between deep state factions and different global operators who are just completely determined to use all their power throughout the government and throughout the, the cyber tech world of Twitter, Facebook, and you know, Amazon, Google, uh, you know, everyone is going to be the corporate training that's going to enforce universities and college campuses and government facilities and, and courts all to have these masks on. These are the kind of universal commercial codes. They're going to be starting to operate in the background of our lives and to dictate what we can and can't do. Even though they're not really laws, they're not statutes. Um, ultimately, the police will still come out because of these these universal commercial codes. And you know, we have to recognize that our lives are being dictated by those who are trying to bring about. A, a, a world union, a global union, and they're operating within the United Nations, and they have a lot of influence in our lives. But what we're really trying to get to here in this episode is this exposure um, regarding the P2 Lodge, and it really comes down to the the person of Roberto Calvi. And Roberto Calvi was a banker. He was the Vatican's banker, and they were into some very shady dealings, and I think that once it became an all-out uh, arena of theft and... Just graft that tied together the mafia figures with the Freemason Lodge, with the actual Curia, with the, the Vatican's own princes of the church, if you will, the, the cardinals. Then it became an issue when uh, ultimately uh, Roberto Calvi was found hung under Blackfriars Bridge. I believe it's the same bridge where Princess Diana was was killed, kind of mysteriously, in that weird, strange accident in the car there. And I can, and, and he was found hung, and he was found with bricks in one pocket and, and um, reams of cash in the other. And then, of course, the brick is the main instrument you use if you're a mason when you're building stone walls or you're constructing stone when you're building. Uh, Doing the, ma- the trade of masonry, and you're building uh, walls or building any kind of structure using bricks. So, a brick in the pocket would have been symbolic. And he ultimately had ties to the P2 Lodge himself. So, you can see that the the issues with um, the Pope John Paul the first, he was brought in he was called the smiling Pope and he was brought in he was a very popular Pope and he was ultimately found killed in his in his bedchambers on the thirty third day of his pontificate so his his pope would be cut short, and what many obviously see is uh, the, the fact that he was murdered. Uh, he was in perfectly good health, and you know there was no autopsy. And he was there to expose a lot of the corruption that was happen- happening in the Vatican Bank. And I think at this point in his pontificate, just 33 days in, he was already starting to ask for the information to be brought to him so that he could deal with it when he was found dead. So this kind of connection with the P2 Lodge, Propaganda Due Lodge, uh, in the exposure of that connection between the Freemasons, the high-level Freemasons, and who are knights, and uh, their connection with the Cardinals of the Vatican, and with the suspicious death of Roberto Calvi, the how it ties to the ultimately the murder of the Pope, John Paul I. So we're going to get into this interesting episode here. I, I think a lot of people haven't heard of this. And in, in America today, our whole... Republic is being undermined by a fraudulent uh, voting systems, massive the uh, ballot irregularities, and I think it's interesting and it's necessary that we go back and understand how this global elite power structure has been built up over time and, and we can't really comprehend what its methods are what the agenda is if we don't look at how historically how those interconnected institutions that have put the global elite into power um, institutions like Like the World Trade Organization, the World Health Organization, or the United Nations, or UNESCO, or um, all the different components that have been put into place in order to try to build this new one world government that's coming about. And we have to understand how those different components work together and why they were built. And we're seeing the Trump administration take these components apart you know we've been separating from the Paris climate agreement we've uh, we're no longer a treaty signer to the World Health Organization we're I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they ultimately kick the United Nations out it looks to me like it's clear that that Joe Biden will not be president and I know that that you can't see this said anywhere in and uh, the public media or anywhere in society at all. You can look on social media. You can look on Twitter. If you say such a thing, you'll be banned or you'll be censored. But ultimately, I think that when they get done looking through all the different, I think they were ready for it I think that Trump had um, put forth executive order calling for um, transparency when it comes to election, and they created a new uh, election certification board that's there to check that kind of systematic criminal vote tampering that's been going on at the ballot for many, many different years. So ultimately, I think that they're going to be able to expose the fact that that Trump did win, and he'll, he'll have his, the, the legislatures will go ahead and certify the electors to the the Electoral College, and ultimately he'll be inaugurated as the next president of the United States. And if that happens, I think you can see an all-out war with the Federal Reserve System, as ultimately we're going into trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of borrowed debt here through the Federal Reserve System. So I think that they're just going to cancel that entire check and ultimately go back onto a a sound money system. And I think that that's ultimately what we're feeling now, is all this friction, all this chaos surrounding the fact that that uh, the patriots within the government are ultimately trying to pull back from this um, total corruption and total basement of our entire country and our economic system to the global elite. And ultimately, we, they would return us back to just serfdom. Ultimately, our debt is going to go into um, a total division of our country, into sections, and I think the United Nations has plans for us that have nothing to do with our national sovereignty or with keeping America great or with a uh, maintaining the 50 states, the Union of the States of America. I don't think that they have any intention on seeing any of that through. And you can see that they're already starting to call, uh, they're starting to find problems with some of the names. Some of the names of our states in America, Idaho, Montana, some of these states are named after Indian words and Indian names. I live near Itchituckney Springs, which is, uh, I'm pretty sure a seminal word. And so when, once we get into nitty degree, I'm sure they can deconstruct our entire nation based on racism and and hate against the Indians and we can find our, our countries, our state, our towns, our counties, our states all being renamed different things and ultimately you know, America would no longer be what it used to be as a democratic republic and I think that's their agenda. So as we go forward we have to look pat into the past and see what has been done in the past and what how the building blocks for a global world government have been set into place carefully and how we're approaching this, this connection between the, the Roman Catholic church, state, the Vatican and fascism and it really comes down to something that people they don't know a lot about uh, something called Operation Gladio. And Operation Gladio, uh, spelled G L A D I O, was this con- this program that was operating behind the P2 Lodge, which was the higher the high-ranking Freemasons and the the, the cardinals and the elite of, of of Italy were setting into place armies who were to operate outside the law. These were going to be hit squads and military forces that were being set up in different countries throughout South America and different areas who would ultimately serve the the, the will and the purposes of their secret masters. And these weren't uh, armies who were, who were legally recognized. They were not operating under the Geneva Convention. They were really just terrorist cells who were armed and financed by the secret society, the P.T. Lodge. And they had a lot to do with, which which is a really interesting agenda, which is is really mysterious and practically Jesuitical, but they were behind the, the, the setup and the overthrow of different Marxist regimes around the world, and they were also supporting uh, right-wing fascism. So that's the, the part where we're getting into corporatism, where the government and the corporations are virtually identical and tied in totally with the the government so that the government and the corporations operate in lockstep and that's how you're going to get really Mussolini's Italy which was Italian fascism and ha- you know and, the, and it, it's interesting that they keep trying to provoke Trump into doing the Defense Production Act which allows him to take control of all the industries of the United States as a commander-in-chief to direct the industries to build tanks or to build bombs or to really to, to build know, um, use the industrial powers to to do whatever he wants. Ultimately, this is really the, the uh, actual definition of fascism itself. So, before we get into this really interesting discussion about the P2 Lodge, the assassination of Pope John Paul I in 33 days of his pontificate, and um, Operation Gladio, and ultimately the connection between the Vatican and Freemasonry, and they're, they're feeling the need to to have a, a shadow government, and to build um hit squads and military off the record, military, false flag military uh, bases throughout the, the world, is really what was happening there and really it's just one step away from the mass nations um, with their hands remaining clean of the Jesuit order So um, I have an interesting article here, I just want to read a little bit of it, it's an article by The Independent it's uh, of course Tuesday December 22nd 2015 and it's called Lysio Jelly, businessman who became the puppet master of the sinister right-wing organization P2. He developed a plan for democratic rebirth, his blueprint for a new Italy, purged of destructive left-wing influences, and we'll continue on here. Alessio Gelli never wanted for epithets. He was often called the puppet master, or sometimes Fagore after the archdevil in the novella by Niccolo Machiavelli, to whom he predictably was also likened. But most importantly, and commonly, he was referred to as El Maestro Venerable, the venerable master of the P2 Freemasons Lodge, a sinister organization of right-wing inspiration whose members included top Italian military, police, intelligence officers, as well as prominent bankers, businessmen, journalists, government officials, and a handful of politicians. And it's interesting because it leaves out to say that the they had men in the P2 Lodge who were also clerics and cardinals of the Vatican. It goes on to say, P2, or propaganda duo, amounted virtually to a parallel state and was implicated directly or indirectly in most of the scandals, plots, and acts of terrorism that marked the country's dark decades of the 1970s, 80s, from an attempted 1970 coup to the kidnap and assassination of Prime Minister Aldo Moro, in 1978, and the Sindona Bank of financial scandals, with their links to the Mafia and the Vatican, to the 1980 Bologna station bombing, and other murders and acts of violence. Not until the massive, quote-unquote, clean-hands corruption investigation of the early 1990s that brought down Italy's old post-war political order was it truly purge from the system. How much of the P2's activities were orchestrated by Jelly was impossible to say? Italy, in those years, was one gigantic conspiracy theory in which right-wing terrorism seemed to overlap with left-wing terrorism. When the communists knocked at the door of the government and diverse forces of the mafia and the Vatican and Freemasonry, combined with the helping hand of the CIA, of course, apparently colluded to deny them. Jelly himself was a product of... The recent component of Italian history, fascism. He was not even twenty when he joined Mussolini's volunteer black shirts to help Franco in the Spanish Civil War. He fought for the fascists against the Allies in the Second World War, and so we'll just—it goes on. It's a really interesting article. You should check it out, read it, and uh, goes on to talk about John Calvi. But I just wanted to. Kind of get this more recent article and kind of put that in there um, as an attachment to our discussion here. And I have um, some uh, audio I want to play, some audio clips that will kind of break down the background of the story for us a little bit. And it's important for us to know what is our history leading up to the, the 1990s and this current century. As we begin to kind of unwrap these shadowy groups and their their machinations and their plans and how they began to operate and what their intentions were over the, the last decades, we can really begin to see how that leads up to where we are now and how these different power structures and how this power global elite really operates. And they're just words and terms to describe the people who are trying to descend us into their world as they have drawn it and that they have ruled it, as their blueprint has determined that, that things should go, and we, we have to recognize that there are those who wish to remain free in the world and that those who wish to maintain their liberties and to maintain American independence. So, without going any further, let's listen to this interesting, uh, this audio clip I have here. Basically cutting in on Mark Paseo, giving a really interesting discussion on secret societies and his studies and how he is uh, basically, uh, through his own, research has developed an understanding about the occult and how it connects to the vatican so let's listen to some of his uh, interesting discussion here
1: and they rule from a place of total secrecy and darkness the only way they can continue their reign is through ignorance they don't want this knowledge coming out here's some stuff to look into about the dark occult and the vatican Who are the Jesuits? Now, deep inside the Jesuits, they are a secret society called the Society of Jesus. And they're connected deeply with military intelligence and with intelligence agencies like the CIA. Let me tell you something. Jesuits comprise a lot of United States intelligence. They're working deeply inside our own intelligence agencies. Opus Dei, this is a a occult organization within the Roman church in the modern day. Consider themselves the doers of God's work, which is what Opus Dei means, God's work. Want to look up the money connection to all of this? Check out the book God's Banker. And the connections to the Propaganda Due Lodge, P2, in Italy, a clandestine Masonic Lodge syndicate. This man with the current quote unquote Pope Francis is uh, uh, yeah, Alfonso Nicholas. He's considered the black pope of uh, the Jesuit order. Many people say that he sits behind the throne of the pope and is the real pope. Indeed, who doesn't really change during his lifetime. And, you know, the other popes are really just, you know, puppets sitting in and he's telling them what to do. Now we do have a Jesuit pope in Francis. He's actually a Jesuit and is obviously very in with the black pope, Nicholas. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. This is, you know, what was talked about... To beware of in the New Testament beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing who are inwardly ravening wolves that's what this priest class is folks they want to pretend that they're holy, these aren't holy men they never have been and never will be the amount of knowledge that the Vatican hoards and keeps to itself is astronomically insane
0: Mark Paseo was talking about the Vatican libraries and a lot of the information that is stored there and people are really finding it suspicious and, you know, they want more access to it. And it kind of goes beyond my particular interest point Um, but there is of course a lot of information in the Vatican libraries but this uh, whole discussion with Mark Paseo is really pointing to a more like intellectual pursuit on his part where he's not particularly political or religious but he's really just following the course of history and and his research and really is kind of coming to the conclusion that there's something wrong with the the Jesuit order and there's issues with their uh, meddling in geopolitics and in science and in finance and and being these... uh Power players towards um, developing um, lodges, secret societies. You know, controlling Freemason networks, influencing intelligence agencies, having to do um, with everything. Uh, they're 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 deeply embedded with the communist, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, and so on every level around the globe. They have taken an active military interest and in, uh, in, in hiding behind clerical clothes and clerical the patina of religious garb and. Speech Um, They really operate as a military phalanx in order to further the geopolitical hegemony of the papacy. And the supremacy of their religious dogma throughout the the whole earth, and so that's what shapes our 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 common mores and our practices and our yearly calendar and our celebrations and our holy days and all, all of our festivals and everything is determined by really the collective reasoning that comes to us through all of our education institutions, our higher learning, and our media, social media, printed and television networks, all to kind of agree to tell us when these seasons occur and when these you know festivals begin and end, and that we. We all collectively take part in them. And so ultimately Roman holidays became, um, as American as apple pie in our, in our cultural collective, um, Understanding of religion going back in the last hundred years, and so as we start to kind of bring together the current perspective, we have to understand that the the format between the the P two Freemason Lodge and the Vatican was totally uniform, and so that the the power structure that was um, had high level control over different militia apparatuses and drug uh, running schemes and and Vatican bank billions. Where, and, and all these cardinals were connected with this Freemason lodge, and so ultimately, Mark Paseo can be written off as just kind of like a conspiracy theorist. But ultimately, his his researches could only lead into one to one pattern of the truth that emerges. And that's really what happens here when we when we look at the historical account through you know an unbiased lens. So when we're talking about Operation Gladio and the PT Lodge, these are things that you've never heard of. And these are things that you can learn about on your own when you do your own research. And so Paul uh, Marchinkas and Licio Gelli and these the power elite that were dominating Italy that were coming out of Mussolini's fascist Italian state after World War II, hey. these, elite, these elite power uh, agents were not interested in allowing for their practices and their operations and their political connections and their affiliates. And ultimately, it comes down to this left versus right paradigm. So they were really funding extremist groups who are on both sides of the political spectrum, whether they're right or left. They were just funding extremism to clash against extremism. And you're going to see that pattern emerging here as we look at our own political paradigm here at home in 2020. So in order to really take this further, we really have to look at some of the more constructive kind of looks at this information, and we're looking at it from the point of view of the investigative journal. I need to know what Greg Anthony has to say about it, so let's take a listen to that. ...regarding the Vatican-led New
2: World Order, a discussion that's uh, not met with kind ears uh, to the mainstream media as well as much of the alternative media looking around for stories and trying to trace all the people that uh, follow this story or do uh, connect the Vatican to the New World Order. And it's kind of like a small club. And the club shares information and it goes back and forth. And it was always my hope that this would grow by leaps and bounds over the years. And uh, hopefully people will catch on. But today I want to talk about how I... Uh, caught on to this story, and the main story that led me to do a lot of research in this area for a long period of time, ever since uh, 1982, and uh, we'll talk about that as well as, I, isn't it interesting, uh, when you talk about dictators in the world, the Vatican is usually behind them as their mentor. <laughs> we'll get into that as well. So let's discuss the Vatican Bank Scandal. Uh, and I was in Rome at the time when it occurred, and that's how I learned about uh, the Vatican intrigue and the Jesuit intrigue, not knowing much about it till really this story hit. And... Uh, <clears throat> Let me look at this and talk talk about this scandal. The Bank of Ambrosiano was an Italian bank which collapsed in 1982. Like I said, I was in Rome when this occurred. At the center of the bank's failure was its chairman, uh, Roberto Calvi, and his membership in the uh, illegal Masonic Lodge, P2, or Propaganda Due. Uh, The Vatican Bank was Ambrosiano's main shareholder, and the death of Pope John Paul I in 1978 is not rumored, but was linked to the Ambrosiano scandal, giving one of the subplots of The Godfather Part III. Remember that uh, movie? Of course you do. The Vatican Bank was also accused of funneling covert United States funds to Solidarity and the Contras through bank Banco Ambrosiano Now, Propaganda Due and the P2 Masonic Lodge. How many shows have we done on that? Many, many over the years. And Propaganda Due, or P2, uh, was a Masonic Lodge operating under the jurisdiction of the Grand Orient of Italy from 1945 to 1976 when its charter was finally withdrawn and a pseudo-Masonic or black or covert lodge operating illegally in contravention of the Italian constitutional laws banning secret lodges and membership of government officials and secret membership organizations from 1976 to 1981. Now, during the years that the lodge was headed by Licio Gelli, and we've talked about him many, many times, uh, P2 was implicated in numerous Italian crimes and mysteries, including the nationwide bribe scandal uh, called. well, there was one huge nationwide bribe scandal, the collapse of the Vatican Bank-affiliated Bank of Ambrosiano, and the murders of journalist Mino Mm -hmm. Pecorelli and banker Roberto Calvi. Now, let's uh, look back a little bit at who Calvi was. He was uh, born in 1920, died in 1982, and was killed, Uh, was an Italian banker dubbed God's banker by the press, due to his close association with the Vatican, a native of Milan, Calvi was the chairman of the Banco Ambrosiano, which collapsed in one of modern Italy's biggest political scandals. And his death in London in June 1982 has been the source of enduring controversy. He was found hung under the Blackfriars Bridge. Calvi's death was ruled as murder after two coroner inquests and an independent investigation. And in June 2007, five people were acquitted of his murder after a trial in Rome. Claims have been made that Calvi's death involved the Vatican Bank, Banco Ambrosiano's main shareholder, the Mafia, which may have used Banco Ambrosiano for money laundering, and Propaganda Due and the P2 Masonic Lodge. Now, just to touch on, on Licho Jelly, you can go back to many of my shows. We did in in-depth interviews as well as uh, interview people who were very close to Licho Jelly. Now, he was born in 1919, is considered an Italian financier, chiefly known for his role in the Bank of Ambrosiano scandal. He was revealed in 1981 as being the venerable master of the clandestine Masonic Lodge propaganda due Now, you can get a lot more of this information on Licio Jelly if you go to many of my old shows and talk about his involvement with the CIA as well as uh, other covert organizations. And Lichogeli was uh, also at Ronald Reagan's inauguration. They were quite close, I'm told. But anyway, uh, regarding P2, when I was there, a huge scandal erupted when over 150 high-level bishops, some cardinals, including Cardinal Paul Marchinkus, who we're going to talk about today, head of the Vatican Bank at the time of this scandal, Uh, were outed as being members of the P2 Masonic Lodge. Now, according to Vatican canon law, uh, anyone who is a member of a Masonic Lodge is immediately excommunicated. However, in this case, the story received huge coverage in France and Italy. No one was ever excommunicated, and the story never seemed to make its way to American shores. And I can attest to that because I tried writing some things that would never get here and never uh, be printed by either AP or UPI, the wire services at the time in Rome. Now, another story here: you got to understand this, Marchinkus, Paul Marchinkus's uh, connection to this scandal and to the murder of Roberto Calvi. Now, when I was there, I tried to interview Mark Chinkas after he was indicted by the Italian government for bank fraud, and later uh, airlifted by the American military to an uh, archdiocese in Phoenix where he lived until about, oh, when was it, 2009? Oh, maybe eight, nine years ago. I'm a little fuzzy on that, uh, where he died. And I'll get into a little bit of a story, a personal story on that, okay, on that end. But... Uh, It was impossible to interview Marchinkas. He was flown out by the American military, protected from the Italian government because of Rome being, you know, Vatican being a separate uh, city-state. And in turn, it was learned that the Italian government was paid off over 225 million to eventually uh, forget about the charges. However, the family of Calvi and the Italian government Never did forget about the possibility of Marchinkus's connection to Calvi's murder, and even as late as less than eight, seven, seven or eight years ago, the case was reopened in Rome, and uh, the Italian press uh, and prosecutors were hot on Marchinkus's
0: tail. Here, even coming to America to try to interview him. So we'll just leave off his um, his interview right there, and that's uh, Investigative Journal. You can look up um, his interviews, are really interesting. Um, and in order to kind of flesh out this whole idea some more, we have to really look at an interesting author, and it's not the same David Yallop author. It's kind of, a, there was a secondary author, uh, Gerald Posner, who did um, some interesting books on the, on the whole subject, having to do with the Vatican Bank scandals, the P2 Lodge, concerning God's banker, Roberto Calvi, who was hung at a Blackfriars bridge. So he is going to have this um, interview with conversations with great minds. And um, he, he really is the one who's going to bring out the Opus Day connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Opus Day is going to be directly connected with the, the power structure and, and how it's run as far as geopolitically and interpersonally and, 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 and throughout the world. And Opus Dei, um, God's work is really the, the meaning of the words And it really has to do with the great work, the opus Dei, you know. And so uh, Freemasonry is really just the same synonymous terminology. So Masonry is the work where you build up the buildings and you build the stone and you're the the builder. And you're doing it freely. You're not a slave Mason, you're a Freemason. So Freemasons are directly connected to the idea of God's work or working the work of God. And it's still the free work, the Freemasonry, Opus Dei, and Freemasonry are the same kind of Freemasonic secret society structure. And they, they, you know, one is supposed to be pagan and the other is supposed to be a Catholic order, a lay order, but ultimately they're really identical. And their structure and their nature. So Joe Posner is gonna really bring into view this this kind of research, deeper research level in his book. So let's give this interview a chance to really inform our perspective on the whole matter. Uh.
3: Conversations of Great Minds with Gerald Posner. Gerald is the author of 11 books, including New York Times bestseller. He's a finalist for the Pulitzer in history. His newest book, God's Bankers, a history of money and power at the Vatican. Gerald, uh, th- this fellow is Sindona. Do I have that right? Exactly, uh, who's, you who's do. at the bank, at the, at the Vatican, and and they were... Uh, and apparently he thought that he was going to... Well, what, you tell the story rather than my trying to tell, tell the story. With my no,
4: Tom, Tom, I mean, no, no, Tom, Sendona is uh, one of these great characters. Michele Sendona was one of the most prominent Italian financiers and businessmen in the 1960s and, and into the 70s. Uh, he was written about in Time Magazine, the New York Times. You know, they called him a, uh, a leading figure, as an attorney, was putting together these complicated uh, deals and tax deals and companies. He came to the United States, he bought Franklin National, uh, one of the uh, the biggest banks, was the largest at that time for a couple billion dollars, also turned out to be the largest. Bankruptcy when it eventually went under. Uh, he's indicted for fraud. Even though he is the Pope's banker, by the mid-1960s, he's in there with the Vatican Bank doing all types of business. It turns out that Sindona hired a hitman to kill the Italian magistrate who was investigating him. He's indicted here in the U.S. on fraud charges. He goes back to Italy. The Vatican Bank is worried that he's going to bring them down with him. He's convicted. He goes to jail and he's in for only a couple of days. As you said before the break, they have built a special wing for him because they know that he's at such risk. He's in his own section with guards around the clock in three different shifts, watching him with a camera on him all the time. His food is prepared in a special section of the kitchen, watched by somebody when it's put together and then brought in sealed containers down to the jail when it's opened up in front of another guard and then given to him. And what happens? Exactly what they're afraid of. He stumbles out of the bathroom at some point on the second day after he's put in, gasping in his throat and saying, I've been poisoned, I've been poisoned and falls down. And autopsy he shows it's cyanide and then the question becomes murder or suicide uh and uh the uh, inquest says suicide nobody can prove otherwise and the case remains um closed to this day with a lot of question marks around it and and your
3: your footnote seems to suggest that you believe that it was suicide is that the case
4: at least a lawyer who represented him, Ivan Fisher, who represented a lot of uh, mob clients in New York and represented the Pizza Connection uh, mafia case in Italians, he had represented Sedona on one of his appeals in the U.S. He said from what he knew of Michele Sedona, he was such a proud and arrogant person that he thought he had gone back to Italy to beat the charges against him once he was convicted and knew he was facing life in prison, that Sindona would want to take charge of it in his own way and exit. He would just kill himself. So that was Fisher's belief, and it certainly gave some credence to me to the possibility that maybe that was Sindona's choice to leave that way. But but I don't know enough here to say there were certainly a lot of people also, Tom, that wanted him dead before he could write a book or um, talk to a uh, TV documentary crew. The Vatican would rather he didn't reveal all his secrets. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, I I think that not just the Vatican, but, you know, there are outstanding questions with Sindona about the extent to which, at the end, he had been used by uh, mobsters in Italy to to move money around. He had been moving a lot of money. Uh, There were politicians as well. So when you get as powerful as that inside a country where there's so much nepotism, and that's one of the problems inside of Italy. I'm half Italian, I can say that. It's an epidemic and an endemic problem inside the country. Uh, I think that when somebody falls down like Sindona, it's not just about the failure of one Company. It's the about his connections to others and what he might expose. So that's fascinating. You, you. One of the footnotes in uh, on page three sixty five. You talk
3: about members of Opus Dei dominated the lay selections for prominent Vatican positions under Pope John Paul II. Um, uh, I had a real interesting conversation a while back with a with a news. Person from South America. I, I don't want to name more than that. Who, say, who who knows the current pope, and was of the opinion that. And again, this is probably you know kind of gossip, Vatican gossip. This guy, this guy himself was a Jesuit, um, said that basically what happened when Benedict went down and and uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Francis came up, is that the. The Jesuits took over, um, and that there was an internal battle that actually involved Opus Dei. Now, it was you know, I'm I'm not a Catholic watcher. I'm not Catholic. I don't know all this stuff. Uh, what's the What's the story here? And you know, I've heard about Opus Dei in our Supreme Court, for example. You know, and,
4: on the other hand, they seem to be like the foil in bad movies. <laughs> bad movies, but they're also a power inside the Vatican. And one of the things, Tom, I loved that I should have realized, of course, I didn't know until I did the book the extent to which when a pope dies, even before a pope dies, one looks frail and sick like uh, John Paul II, the Polish pope, had Parkinson's, and there were rumors for the last five years that he was dying any moment. Uh, the, there's jostling for power behind you know, that. Even though technically they say they go into the conclave to select a pope and the Holy Spirit comes down and, and they're led to select one, there's an internecine warfare between different factions to get the power. The traditionalists versus the progressives, the, those who are aligned with one religious order versus another. So, Opus Dei was a group that uh, you know made famous, I guess in some ways, uh, in the Da Vinci Code and in other uh, bad books, or good books, in terms of how you view it. But it's a personal order in which they had wanted for a long time to be a personal order of the Pope. They had uh, appealed to Pope Paul VI in the 60s and into the early 70s to become that personal prelature, it's called. And they were always denied. John Paul II changed all of that. The Polish Pope in 1978? makes them right next to the Pope. And as you said, they start to filter into the Vatican in a real power source. Then under Benedict, the German Pope, the one right before Francis, they start to lose a little bit of their power and the Salesians, a different order, start to gain power, they become the Secretary of State and you see them moving up. And now under Francis, Opus Day gets pushed back a little bit. This is this back-and-forth infighting that takes place, and I will tell you that it is every bit as tough or nasty and maybe tougher in terms of the malicious rumors and innuendos that get passed around as Republican and Democrats going into a presidential race. Uh, They're fighting in the end for power. The world's largest faith are just about, you know, vying with Muslims for that and its own country. They're certainly uh, pushing each other hard back and forth. Anyway, it's, I, the Vatican
3: has back to the back to your book, and and I, I think what you know, one of the most consequential parts of your book is the history of the Vatican Church and the Nazis, uh, and the Vatican was uh, largely silent during the Holocaust, and yet they had, uh, from what I'm reading in your book, all kinds of reasons to know what was going on. Um, what what's the story here? It's a pretty provocative claim. You're saying that you know the the, the Vatican basically was more interested in making a profit than saving
4: the lives of Jews in, in Europe yeah I, I think that okay there are two parts of this first of all what you said a moment ago is absolutely critical Tom and that is that the Vatican had earlier information about the largest mass murder of civilians in Eastern Europe than anybody else the allies the British and Americans have nothing to you know be proud of here they should hang their heads in shame when they the information about the murder of Jews gypsies uh, Romanis uh, almost sexuals, political dissidents. when that started to filter into the British and Americans they didn't do anything about it as well but the Vatican had it first and the reason is very is very simply there were priests on the ground in the killing fields in Poland in thousands of through Romania, through Croatia, through Czechoslovakia. These priests saw on the ground what was happening in terms of the Aizen group and the killing mobile squads from the SS and later the gas chambers and the gas fans. They reported it back to their bishops who would send it in diplomatic pouches back to Rome where it would land on the Secretary of State's office and every day two members of the Secretary of State's office would meet with the Pope. There's little doubt that from 1940 and on the Vatican had better and fresher information and more details about that slaughter than anybody else. The first SS officer in 1942 who had a guilty conscience, who wanted to confess to a priest what he had seen, walked into the Nuncio, the ambassador's office in Berlin, and was turned away by the Nuncio's assistant who was secretly a Nazi party member. He went to another priest. When he confessed what he had seen, it went to the Pope as well. Now, the Vatican was largely silent, publicly very silent, and I do put forth the proposition that one of the reasons, they were afraid of a lot of things, they were afraid that Hitler might move against Catholics inside of Germany, that he might move
0: into the Vatican. So anyway, we'll leave off the, uh, the Gerald Posner interview right now. It's very fascinating. And, you know, I the, the focus that we're you know, really trying to bring into the picture here is the connection between the Vatican and Grand Orient Freemasonry. And really, the ultimate kind of background issue that doesn't get talked about very often is the Operation Gladio um, situation that was exposed. And the fact that there were so many high-level cardinals, and vatican officials that were in the p2 lodge there in italy and that it, as a high ranking as a, as a 32 degree level freemason you have to recognize that their connection to the the wider global community and the fact that banco ambrosiano had come in and bought one of the largest banks in America at the time, and ultimately it collapsed. It's just—it's really a huge scandal that Americans have no idea about. And if you don't understand this kind of background history and the, the work that was done to bring out a lot of this information that you really don't have an idea how these different networks work together and how the, uh, the global community today is operating and you don't understand the kind of power structure that's behind it as far as we're going into a technotronic era where everything is digital, the, the cybernetic warfare—it's going to kind of come around. The, the whole idea of mass censorship that we're seeing through Twitter and Facebook and other groups who just are ultimately going to determine that that you're just deplatformed and you're deleted. And we have to understand that how restrictive the the system is towards allowing you to have your own perspective or to to freely research. Different ideas that are, that you know that they're not interested in, and in allowing you to proliferate. So that's why you'll find that you know people cannot, you know, are rarely allowed to be exposed to this kind of information in the first place, and you're never allowed to learn from it and, and be educated on the ways of the world and how international politics really looks and the nature of the the world's largest religion that everyone is participating in, as if it's just Americana. And so I'm just here to challenge the kind of status quo with this new information to bring about a new perspective with things that you otherwise might not be able to hear at all so it becomes a matter of history to our point of view now in 2020 as we look back and we can see that the, uh, as far as the Vatican Bank scandal <clears throat> and we can see how the, the Odessa, what was called the Odessa were really the, the rat lines that were filtering high level Nazi officials out of um, Germany into South America especially into Argentina and ultimately um, Operation Gladio which was creating fascist um, mili- paramilitary organizations all over the world were something that when you know were being exposed in the 80s were considered just conspiracy theory just wild tangent ideas that could be be easily dismissed as just uh, nonsense and 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 like like I said just wild conspiracy theories and we can see now in our current era that those things were actually substantively true and that they were things that affected our current situation now in history we're in a different era you know we're, we're looking at drone technology and and high-level robotics we're looking at a, a trip to Mars're looking at huge information databases and and uh, and you know lightning fast internet speeds that allow us to have an interconnected world through social media organizations that can ban us and track us. And so when we go back into the 1980s when we still had rotary telephones um, to talk about some of these issues like the the Gladio black ops networks were just something that were completely wild and crazy but now you know we can see that the easiest way to to make this argument substantive to your mind is to really go back in time so if we go back to the middle of 1981 and we listen to Mae Brussel as she discusses her point of view, her perspective at the time when she's actually dealing with the the, the revelation of these these events into the newspapers, you know, when they're, they're so completely exposed they can't even be hidden anymore, and they can't, the, the media can't be manipulated any further, and finally the headlines are, are talking all about these murders and the P2 um, Freemason Lodge and the Vatican connections, we have to understand how that must have sounded at the time. So let's listen to Mae Brussel as she discusses the issues.
5: Just last week on a Reuters news story, Masonic Lodge Scandal Shakes Italian regime. And most of this broadcast this evening is going in to the background of that scandal as it broke just this week because of the interlocking links to the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan and the assassination attempt on Pope John Paul II and then hopefully get through enough material on this scandal and other material in the next week or two to show the interconnections between those two events and the scandal breaking in Italy at this time. Since the first of the year just before uh, 1981 John Lennon was shot in December of 1980, then there was the assassination plot in Spain, a coup to kill the king of Spain. Those uh, plans to kill the royal family were uh, revealed last week after the seizure of the bank by the fascist group in Spain. Uh, February 1980 was the first attempted coup and And the murder plots just came out this week. Uh, The Bolivian government has changed hands in the last week, they agreed military dictators would change seats so that that government has toppled this past week. um, There was a murder attempt in the United States on the President of the United States, a murder attempt on the Pope. Two months later, the President of Bangladesh was murdered yesterday, and the President of Ecuador was murdered just last Sunday night when I was coming to KLRB, I heard about it. a lot of heads of states are falling. There are a lot of people behind these assassination attempts. Whether the murders are successful or merely attempts, there are a warning of what to expect in the future. And I'm going into the Italian scandal in just a few moments. Preceding uh, the shooting of Ronald Reagan and the shooting of Pope John Paul II, I had been talking for many, many weeks in the past year on the missing money, the fascist money that is going into Argentine, South America, and literally the Odessa, the worldwide fascist organizations, Uh, not just ordinary bank uh, robberies for personal reasons, but fascists who have claimed credit for the robberies in order to finance their fascist activities. I've talked about uh, $60 million involved with a Jack Bender going down to Uruguay and with Mengele's down there and fascist money from Toronto, Canada, to Swiss insurance companies. To Los Angeles, Monaco, and uh, a fellow out of uh, Philippines who removed 18 million, and then another 100 million. Billy D. and I did a program on West Germany's bank heist, uh, money being taken out of San Francisco robberies, 45 million dollars in the past year or so. At the Wells Fargo, two to three hundred million dollars missing. The uh, Michael Sandona scandal of the Vatican money and interlocking links to organized crime. The 45 million out of the Franklin National Bank alone. Uh, I'm going to zero in on Michael Sendona because he is integrally related to this plot that is unfolding in Italy at the present time and because he was the financier for the Vatican and worked with Pope Paul VI who was the godfather literally of uh, Pope, uh, John Paul II. Uh, the missing money of Sendona and its interconnecting links to organized crime and the mob in the Vatican now unfolds with its links to Argentina and to a secret organization inside of Italy that has allegiance to a fascist group that worked with Mussolini, as against the real allegiance to the Vatican or the Pope. I've been saying that that was the role of Sedona a long time, and now this evidence is coming out. Uh, Sedona was uh, under investigation for 11 million dollars that went to this country to the Christian Democratic Party in Italy that he was funding and members of that party are caught in the scandal. And also the great Nugent Hand Bank, the CIA bank from Australia, was funding the Christian Democratic Party also, so that the uh, organized crime, the CIA, the heroin traffic, was coming into the political party in Italy that is now being uh, changing hands and being removed because of this terrible scandal that's taking place. Before I go into that for one moment, I want to call attention to an article. The Wall Street Journal this past week, May 21st, it's called an inside job like Wells Fargo case. The Chase Manhattan Bank in New York is missing $20 million. I did a list of millions of dollars, adding up to about $22 billion that this particular team have access to, which is a large amount of money for espionage or coup d'etats or silencing police forces. And the latest missing money, in quotes, is from Chase Manhattan, Bank as tentacles to people working inside the organization in New York, long-time workers, 26 years at the bank and another one, 14 years and now they're saying, oh we have our problems too, we happen to be missing 20 million what they do is pluck 20 million out and give it to particular agents and that aren't on the book of the intelligence community like the CIA or the FBI or the National Security Agency, they chalk it up to a bank loss and then that money goes to funds espionage operations wherever they want them to go now in as much as time allows when I get through discussing the Masonic Lodge scandal in Italy I will continue on with the Nugent Hand Bank story and its links to the Italian teams the Nugent Hand stories and the links to the Vatican the Christian Democratic Party as the recipients of funds from both places, the missing millions of the Italian government scandal I talked about that on KLRB March fifteenth, nineteen 1981, called Fraudissimo, about the missing money, and that is the money that is causing the Italian government to change hands, but not only the government, but high officials in the government. And then I want to go into the dual job of Paul Marcincus. He's the bishop in charge of the Pope. He's the chief bodyguard for the Pope, wherever he travels out of Rome. And he also happens to be the The highest-ranking American in the Vatican and the president of the Vatican Bank. So that Marcinkus is uh, in charge of all the Vatican funds, and he's an American citizen, actually, from Cicero, Illinois, which is the home of the Al Capone gang and the Sicilian mob that moved into the United States. So that Cicero, Illinois, claims fame to the headquarters of the and heart of the Italian mobs, and their uh, fellow from Cicero, Illinois, is in charge of the funds at the Vatican Bank, and you can see that gets a little complicated. And then I will go into detail further into that he would kill the Pope and then a year and a few months later he's in St. Peter's Square and then the links of course of Aja to West Germany banks, the Nazi fascist uh, heroin traffickers and again the scandal in the Italian government now. All of this is interlocking and explains why there were shots at Pope John Paul at this time. The link of heroin traffic and a fascism that did not end with World War II, but which is very ripe, and a peak of it came out just this past week. We got a good view of it, just in a few news stories that I'm going to share with you, in case you missed it or didn't see it. Some of the papers had a Washington Post back on page 28, instead of a headline story, which it should have been. But just before I get to that in detail, I do want to mention, again, a very quiet story that didn't make the headlines everywhere. Uh, The New York Daily News, or the New York Post, one of the two had a large story this week that Joseph Mengele, the notorious angel of death from Auschwitz has been very much alive in New Jersey and Westchester, New York he has a relative living in New Jersey who has a farm manufacturing company called Krona Mengele's Numier and he also worked for that the firm is well known in Germany when he left Auschwitz he never was wanted as a war criminal, he was never wanted at Nuremberg trials and when he was recognized in Germany he went on down to South America and I've alleged for a long time that Mengele has been in and out of this country that the FBI uh, has documents Came with specific hand signs that they had learned in their masonry. Uh, this goes into the chronology in 1735, the introduction of the Masons into Portugal, Russia, and Italy, and then it updates it to the Council of Foreign Relations in 1921 that was formed in England, uh, Mussolini with uh, their li- his links to the Italian and British intelligence coming together with the mafia from Sicily, and then the connecting links of Hitler's National Socialist Party in 1923 in Germany and the Teapot Dome scandal with President Harding. This book has a chronology of J. Edgar Hoover taking over the FBI in 1924 and has an interconnecting link of particular lodges or suspicion of the Masons being involved in assassination teams and overthrowing of governments and controlling the world power. So as he follows this chronology through all of the various episodes, it's interesting to see it coming out in the terms of a Mason scandal and involving assassination teams down from Argentina and banking scandals of money that have gone into fascist organizations of heroin uh, traffic and assassination squads combined with financiers from the Vatican. The thing that is so unusual about this case's breaking this week is pinning it to a lodge in the Masons because if a person wants to understand them, you can read the book the Illuminides and get a vision of it. So, when
0: we go back to 1982 and we listen to these interesting discussions here by Mae Brussel, and she's on you know, AM radio and she has her rotary phone at her microphone, and she has her news article clippings. And even at that time, she's able to put together the background picture of what was really then truly conspiracy theory. And now, as we are here in 2020, we can clearly see that that these high-ranking Nazi officials did leave for South America en masse, and ultimately, these different... Odessa operations and Operation Gladio that set up fascist um, operations all throughout the world actually did, in fact, go into effect as a matter of history, and they did have terrible consequences. She names all the, the different kinds of assassinations that were toppling the world at the time in the 80s, and you have to understand that all this... Information was having to do with the banking scandal surrounding the the uh, murder of the pope just five years before. Uh, pope John Paul the first was ultimately found dead after 33 days, and in all this is ha- as an after effect of the. The fascist movement, as it had just collapsed France and Poland and Germany and distro- you know, helped dist- basically destroy France and America in the 30s and 40s, was now not gone at all, but had switched gears and was actively subverting the world in other ways. And you can see now that the world's built up into these large uh, treaty organizations like you know the World Bank and the World trade organization and the uh, Inter- International Monetary Fund and ultimately the Trilateral Commission, all, all these different global think tanks that work together to shape the world as it is at this point it are ultimately really the, the, the four plans of these fascist organizations that were being financed by different dark lodges, uh, Freemason lodges that were not chartered or recognized by anyone and ultimately these were pirate factions that were operating within geopolitics they are killing off world leaders, killing off presidents, killing off popes, killing off, you know, large bank presidents, and dissipating into the background, just as the high-level Nazi officials during Operation Paperclip were given passports by the International Red Cross and by the Vatican to travel all over the world and to escape the Nuremberg trials. These are the kind of different machinations and secret operations that were happening in the mid and late 1900s. And now that we're going into the 2000, into our into this millennium, going into 2021 and 2022, you have to be aware of the power elite and how they're working to really liquidate all their enemies. And if you think that for one minute that they won't have the continental United States totally invaded with a naval invasion from Russia and China or just have this place softened up with nuclear weapons or cause mass race riots, or do all those things at the same time, then you have completely lost your mind and you've been you've mistaken their intentions. They're not here to be a feeding program or to be some socialist food stamp program for the poor to make everyone go get a free college or everyone get, get get something to eat. They're here to take absolute and total dominion over this country, which was a, a revolutionary country. This country was established to be a free land for free men. And we were vassals. We were... Subjects of monarchies. We were uh, apostate heretics who fled the old world order in order to create a free world for ourselves. And the old world order wants its vassals and slaves and witches and heretics back. And, and as Protestants, as people that have left Roman religion and left behind the idea of noblesse oblige or the, the idea of service to a king. Or the divine right of a king to you know to kill us or you know, have our heads chopped off or just we're just serfs. That whole idea was completely erased, and now they're here to erase our whole idea of America. So you need to remember who these power elite are, and remember that the all the information that you need to, to, to research and find out the truth was given on these broadcasts here, Looking Glass Forum. So that's why we're doing this this background information because there's a lot of stuff that you guys probably haven't heard of before. These are ideas that have been swept aside as as crazy conspiracy theories, but ultimately these you know, 50 and 60 years from now, these things that are shaping our destiny today will be will be obvious. You know, it's obvious that if you're on one side of the the, the censorship um, and you're being censored, or if you're on the other side of the cens- censorship, where you're not being allowed to hear opinions. You're being masked with, um, with surgical masks to walk around in public. So you, you're dehumanized and you're, you're made to stay away from each other. So you can't communicate ideas. You can't share knowledge and you can't spread the idea. Of what this ultimate slavery technotronic, this cyber, this deep state cyber tyranny that's coming down to us needs to be addressed, and we need to be aware of who who's in uh, the Opus Dei order, who's in the Freemason lodge, who who are Jesuits. I mean, the people that operate, like, you know, Christopher Ray operating in the FBI. Is he did he go to a Jesuit college? Is he trained by Jesuits in his foreign service school? These men, like you know, William Barr, is he Opus Dei? I mean, and these, these actors, like these Jesuit priests who pretend like that they're just doing service to the community who are really operating in the background to control our politics and, and control our relationships on an international level and control our diplomacy and control the message of, of our government and, and different governments around the world and who are here to subvert all heretics and to submit them all to, to our knees before... The Holy See and, and the Pope of Rome. That's that's the job of the Jesuit order is to bring everyone to a, a place of submission to the, the papacy and the Vatican. And here in America, we were notoriously a country of, of Protestants and a country of free men who didn't bend the knee to any Pope in Rome. And and so just as we're connecting all these different um, issues over time, like the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, and little by little through these episodes, we're going to make you aware of a background history that you have not allowed been allowed to see. We're going to allow you to have intellectual information you have not been allowed to think, and you'll be able to adjust your life and your understanding and and the course of your life and the meaning of what you believe in and the the, the things that you hold dear. You'll be able to understand them in a new way when you understand what America is and and how important our republic and our constitution is in this fight against the old world order. And ultimately, we have to be able to stand up as a people and, and lead the world and show other places, like countries like Slovenia, or like cities like Toronto, or places like Spain and Portugal. We need to, we need to lead the world and show the young people and the, the people of the world how to be free and what it, and the, the personal responsibility that is required in order to make sure that even the minority is protected, even those people out there that have no power, no strength, and no rights, that their voices are heard and that elections are made free and they can't be stolen by a cabal of criminal perverts and idiots. And that's what they are. These these pedophile island people. Nobody wants to talk about the Jeffrey Epstein scandal anymore. And it's just kind of getting washed under the table. It's it's it really touched a lot of people in Washington, didn't it? There's a lot of people that that couldn't allow that information to come out. And we were just reading a headline today, and we were laughing because a close aide of the Clinton administration, Bill Clinton has finally come out on record and testified and said that Bill Clinton did go to Jeffrey Epstein Island in 2003. So now, now, um, you know, Bill Clinton's all impotent and old and disgusting, but back in 2003, he was still, you know, he was wild Bill. He could still go over there and get with some of that, you know, underage, you know, pedophile Island situation there. So we just, he went to a Jesuit college. So did Hillary. So you need to be aware of what is really going on when you think that you're, you know what politics are. You think you're red or blue, or you think you know what. You're being divided against each other. And you need to be aware of the, like, Operation Gladio. You never heard of that? You never heard of the fascist black ops in the background? Uh, black flag organizations that were here to that were sent into countries to disrupt and to become to, to take on the artifice of particular inflammatory political groups in order to incite one side against the other, in order to overthrow a whole government regime. That's happened over and over again. But you, you were just unaware of it. You were unaware of what the CIA secret black ops uh, programs are all about. Now now black lives matter and antifa are here with their black lock and you're too dumb to see what it is. And and you need to be made aware. You need to be educated. That's what I'm doing here tonight is I'm educating you. So that you can be made aware. So you can, you know, you can spend time with me, you know, you can, you can email me. We can, we can do things uh, on a personal level because now I've helped you to have true information. And you're not just like an ignorant fool. I can't stand to be around people who are just ignorant. You can't even hold a conversation because they really don't know the true facts of history. So now, now, now we can be made aware of how it is to, to be informed and to be enlightened and you can have you know you can take some of these uh, these um, episodes and take the information and research it for yourself and and you can you can be an autodidactic. you can learn how to self-educate and not just be one of the uh, the smurfs out there the uh, intellectual idiots who are just useful fools and who, who are just ultimately going to be cannon fodder when it, when, when it, you know when these power elite decide to descend our country into into flames and ruin and we have to learn how to stand up for each other as Americans and be smarter than these politics of division. So I'm going to leave you with one little more uh, piece of audio here. And this is Peter LaVinda. He's doing a discussion about Freemasonry and about the development of Freemasonry within our society. And I'll just leave you with this final little audio. Have a great night
6: ideals and very strong uh, opinions about the rights of human beings, um, the the necessity for freedom, uh, freedom from tyranny, I think all of these concepts, and including religious tyranny by the way, um, I think all of this was part of the movement that created uh, the American Revolution. But I think like anything else, once a society finds itself accepted as part of society, Suddenly it becomes entrenched in that society. It takes on some of the worst aspects of that society. Uh, In in the desire to become all-inclusive, you begin to bring people into your organization who do not hold the same ideals, who are not the same people as when you started. So you suddenly become, it becomes an institution. Like the Catholic Church for 300 years existed underground. It was persecuted. They had to meet at night in catacombs. Suddenly with Constantine, they become a state religion. And within a thousand years, suddenly, you know, the Catholic Church has become this monolithic operation which owns land, which controls governments, which decides who's going to be a king or not. I don't think Jesus in his, you know, wandering through Palestine had this idea in his mind. You know? yeah. So, the same thing with Freemasonry. I think that Freemasonry initially was a movement of resistance against monarchy, resistance against organized religion, resistance against any any group that would try to tell you how to think or how to live. I think that was pure in that, in that case. And I think, like the church, with the passage of and when it became almost a state function that's when you saw corruption enter into Freemasonry that's how you could have a propaganda due in Italy where you could have fascists and right-wing you know assassins as freemasons I mean there was no pretense at Masonic ideals anymore at enlightenment ideals it was gone it was disappeared we were back to you know monarchy concepts so I think that that's what happened Freemasonry became sidetracked I don't say all of it I think there's a lot of Freemasonic organizations that are that are still trying to adhere to to these ideas, but when you have presidents of the United States who are Freemasons, you naturally start to ask yourself, is that a good thing or a bad thing? What does that really mean?